All right, it's Thursday. Every other Thursday, you ready for some scripture? I think you are, because I know I'm ready to go. We come to that knowledge through Scripture, everybody. Good morning and welcome. Spirit Mornings here on the Spirit Catholic Radio Network. Bruce McGregor joined in studio today again by Sharon Doran. Sharon, good morning and welcome. Good morning, Bruce. We are going to a wedding today. Yes, we are going I'm, to a I'm wedding I'm glad today. you're on time today, even with these roads, because I do not want to be late for a wedding. Absolutely. And, you know, I was that made me think of my wedding and when you were doing the announcement about Grand Island, because I was married at Grand Island's uh, St. Mary's Cathedral. That's where I received my baptism, my first communion, my confirmation and so just that it had mary's name too and today we are talking about mary yeah we are and and it's good because of course uh, we've had uh, the solemnity of the immaculate conception uh, the mm-hmm. many, many titles of Mary that uh, are ascribed to her. And uh, Father Mark Sizen and I have been going through mm-hmm. the litany of Loretto and uh, taking a look at a lot of those. It's wonderful. Yep. So uh, I guess we'll just uh, roll up our sleeves here and get into the wedding feast at Cana. Yeah. Would you, you love your voice. Would you read us the first five verses, Bruce? I will do that. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Wow. Right there. Five lines that are just packed. packed. That's that's (laughs) right. I mean, well, that do whatever he tells you. I mean, that just... Mm, jumps out immediately. But let's take a look at that. On the third day. Okay, every time we hear on the third day perk up because important things happen on the third day. For instance, uh, it was on the third day that Abraham took Isaac up Mount Moriah to sacrifice his only son. And it was on the third day that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. So right away on the third day, perk up. Mm -hmm. Okay, but if you remember from, from a couple weeks ago, we're counting days because John's gospel is really Oh, it's so detailed. So we are, uh, if you look back to chapter one, it was, and the next day, and the next day, and the next day. So we are, we were on day four. So now we are on the third day, but we had four days before this. So four plus three is seven. Ding, 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 ding. ding, ding. Yeah. Big things happen on day seven. Also seven is such a, is covenant. And, uh, a new covenant is taking place today on the seventh day. It's like a new creation. Mm-hmm. John John is showing us that Jesus Christ is going to reorder the chaos. Uh, and, and you know how the, the first chapter started in the beginning. So there was the creation, the fill of creation right off the bat in John's gospel. It's continuing here in a new creation. Jesus will reorder the chaos of fallen mankind today at this wedding feast in Cana. So it's in Cana in Galilee, and Jesus' mother was there and his disciples. Now, we know he has five disciples at this point, and uh, they're going to all go to this wedding. So, um, And then Mary says, when the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. So so no one else, everyone else is going about the wedding, and there's a festive celebration. A Jewish wedding would have typically lasted, you know how long? Uh, three days? Seven. Seven days. Seven okay. days. And, and so here we have seven 
Uh, It's on the seventh day. A Jewish wedding lasts seven days. We've got a lot going on, and the wine is gone, and Mary notices. No one else notices. That's how intuitive Mary is. Mm -hmm. As an intercessor, she knows our needs even before we do. The bride and groom hadn't noticed. The head waiter hadn't noticed. But Mary notices that the wine's almost gone. And Mary knows this is going to be a huge social embarrassment for the family to run out of wine at a Jewish wedding, to run out of food or wine. Those of you out there who have planned a wedding, can you imagine if the wedding's half over and you're out of everything? It would be mortifying, especially in this culture. It would mean they couldn't provide. It would be shameful and an embarrassment. And Mary, in her intuition, in her her, uh, goodness, notices. And she goes to Jesus and says, they have no more wine. And scholars go back and forth about this, like, what is she saying? What is she saying? Is she asking him to do something? Is she asking for a miracle? Is she simply making an observation? Perhaps she wanted a glass of wine. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. And they're running out. So, I mean, we don't know. But what's interesting here, um, a a lot of scholars totally, totally just ignore Mary, this whole chapter. They don't even address her. And already in these first five verses that you read, she's mentioned three times here. In, in the first five verses. So she's, she's, she's the star of this chapter. Mm-hmm. Why would you ignore Mary? She says, all generations will call me blessed. That's scripture. All generations will call me blessed. We're not to ignore Mary and pretend as if she doesn't exist. I'm a mom. I don't like when my kids ignore me. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> yep. she's our spiritual mother. We're not to ignore Mary. And so let's look at what, what he's saying here. And Jesus says, woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. And all the way through John, we're going to have this theme of the hour. Mm-hmm. The hour is the hour. And my hour has not yet come. Well, is this the hour? Is this the hour? Is this the hour? Is it? When is this hour going to come? And of course, the apostles are thinking, maybe this is the hour when he's going to take over Rome, when he's going to step forward and, and, you know, rain down something from heaven and take a military. That's not what his hour is going to be. His hour is going to be the hour on the cross. Right the most intense hour of suffering. And that hour is going to be his hour of glory. Of course, they don't know that yet. Um, Back to Mary and this creation theme here, this new creation on the seventh day, what's going on. Um, You know, Catholics call Mary the new Eve. Mm -hmm. And people say, oh, Catholics, why did, where does it say in Scripture that Mary's the new Eve? I don't have a verse for that. I, it's not something we can prove text in a verse, but it's something very, very clear in Scripture if we take the time to unfold all the clues and mysteries and look at the church history and our early church fathers as well. Um, okay, so let's talk about that a little bit. Mary is the new Eve. What does that mean? We see that she's being called woman here. Woman. He doesn't say mother. Uh, John doesn't use her name, Mary. She's called woman. And woman in scripture is a universal term. And we see John's going to use that again in John 19 when Jesus is on the cross and when Jesus saw his mother standing there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby. And he said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. So why John, John's writing this, John loves this woman, John has taken her into his home. Why is John using the term woman? It, you know, John knew her intimately. She, she was given over to his care, yet he calls her this universal title. Well, that title, woman, we first see in Genesis. And uh, 
after the fall of mankind, especially in that first gospel message, and we call it the Proto-Evangelium, and it's Genesis 3.15, when God says to the serpent, after the fall of mankind, he says to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. Well, I've always, I always wondered, what's enmity? Yeah. So I looked it up in Webster last night, and it says, uh, the state or feeling of being actively opposed or hostile to someone or something. A deep-seated dislike, typically mutual hatred or ill will. So this serpent and the woman are not going to get along real well yeah. after the fall. <laughs> yeah. And the offspring of this woman uh, is going to crush the head of the serpent. So, so what is that about? What is that about? Who is this woman that very right after mankind has sinned and fallen from God for all eternity, uh, we get this gospel message that someone's coming, an offspring of hers, and he's going to crush the head, and you will strike his heel. Now, Bruce, would you rather have your head crushed or your heel struck? Um, I think I'd take the uh, heel nip there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And except that it's a serpent, so yeah. even a rattlesnake nipping your heel could be deadly, it right? Could be. Absolutely. So, so what that means is, game on. This is going to be a battle mm-hmm. for life between these two, and the two are Jesus Christ, who will finally crush the head of Satan on his hour of glory at the foot of the cross, and. Uh, and uh, he will try, though, and he will continue to try with his deadly venom to strike our heels, even to this day. But um, that's kind of what, what's going on there with this new Eve. Mary is going to be the new Eve. Mary, with her yes, her fullness, her yes to God, is going to um, kind of replace Eve. Eve is going to be the mother of death. Eve's choice brings death into the world. Mary's yes, Mary's full fullness is going to bring life into the world. And uh, by the Holy Spirit will that be when he overshadows her in the presence of God. To be overshadowed brings us back to that image of the true presence of God overshadowing the ark, overshadowing the Holy of Holies in the temple. This true presence is going to overshadow by the power of the Holy Spirit will this be done when Mary conceives. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. And uh, this offspring, in some translations, is said seed, or in the Greek, it's spermatos. Mm -hmm. It's the only time it's used with a woman. Why is this going to be, it's going to be the, the spermatos of woman? Well, woman doesn't have, have that. So who, who is going to make this? And it's going to be a virgin, we know from Isaiah, a virgin's going to conceive. How is that possibly going to happen? By the power of the Holy Spirit will this be done. Her intimacy with the Holy Spirit, her yes to the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit come through Mary. Holy Spirit comes through Mary. So that the word of God can become incarnate in Mary. He will dwell in her for nine months. The God of the universe will come within her to dwell. The sinless virgin. How can this be? How can this be? Since I do not know man, she says, by the power of the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And, and, and there's, a, there's a word here, too, that uh, John Paul II points out, that it's a title that she's given, Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Uh, John Paul II points out that Mary's not addressed by her formal name, Mary, there. She's called full of grace. And the Greek word there is, is uh, kakeratomen. And that is a word that uh, is one who already has been graced. 
and will be grazed and continues to be grazed because that word in the Greek is the perfect passive participle in Greek. And it's a present state of affairs that's the result of an action of the past. So Mary's sinless. And people say, how do, how do you get this doctrine that Mary's sinless? We all have original sin, not Mary, because she is full of grace prior to this angel overshadowing her. It's so beautiful. It's so rich. She has to be to undo the sin of Eve. This sinless virgin will undo what the first Eve did. We're talking about Mary being the new Eve. And if we look at the fruit of their womb, you know, what came from the fruit of Eve's womb? Right away, Cain goes out and kills his brother Abel. I mean, death results from the womb of Eve. What comes from the womb of Mary? You know what you are by the fruit. You know, her fruit will be everlasting fruit. Her son will open the gate to eternal life for all. Mary's womb will bring life. And uh, John 10.10 tells us, I have come that they might have life and have it to the fullest, have it to abundance. So also Mary's womb brings truth. John tells us, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Mary's womb brings wisdom. Uh, Mary's the seed of wisdom. Wisdom comes through Mary. Jesus Christ himself is wisdom. Jesus Christ himself is truth. And they, they it comes through Mary. So Eve's son brings death to the world. Mary's son, though he dies, brings life. And uh, St. Peter Chrysologus has a good one too. Christ was born of a woman so that just as death came through a woman, so through Mary, life might return. So when Luke tells us, most blessed are you among women, Elizabeth says to Mary, most blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. This blessed woman, this blessed fruit is going to crush the head of Satan. So I want to look back in scripture and see what other women were called blessed because Mary certainly is called blessed and that's a title. And uh, we can find two in the Old Testament. In Judges 4, we meet a woman named Jael and this was during the time of Deborah. And uh, what happens is Jael lures um, the enemy, the Assyrian commander, uh, Sisera, into her tent, gives him some gold milk, lets him rest. Then she gets out a hammer, takes a peg when he's sleeping, and drives the peg through the temple of his head and crushes his head. And then Deborah says in her song in Judges 5, she says, most blessed of women be Jael. So Jael mm-hmm. is a head crusher. Yeah. Okay. The other head crusher is in Judith 13. And uh, Judith goes into the camp of Holfernes, another Assyrian commander-in-chief, and it's an enemy force, she uh, gives him lots of alcohol, one glass after another. And uh, what she does when he finally passes out and he's feeling uh, safe and secure in her tent, she grabs a sword and, and slices his head off. And uh, and then Jael is called blessed, or Judith, I'm sorry, Judith is also called blessed. Blessed are you, Judith. And so we see in scripture, blessed are you, daughter of the most high God above all women on earth, Uzziah said to Judith. So isn't that mm-hmm. interesting that the blessed women in the Bible are the head crushers, and Mary is going to have the offspring that will crush the head of Satan. Mary is a head crusher. And so blessed Blessed are you, Mary. Uh, isn't that a fun connection? And mm-hmm. you'd never get that. You, you, you have to piece that all together. Yeah. Um, so so that's cool. Let's go on then with um, that verse 4. Can you reread verse 4? I will do that. Uh, whoops. I, can, I have so woman. many. Woman, here I have it right in oh, front of me. There we Wha- go. Do you have it? Yes, I do. Verse 4. Uh, woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. 
Okay, now what does he mean that my hour has not yet come? And uh, what's neat about this is in the Greek, uh, there is a, a uh, how that would have been is um, ti imoike soi. He's, he's asking her, what is this? What is this between you and me? There's a tension. There's a tension between Mary and Jesus. And uh, he's saying, what, what, what does this have to do with me? Do you know what you're asking? Do you know what you're asking? Because although Mary's asking for wine for this couple, does she really know? Because he has not done any signs yet. This will be his very first sign to the world. This will be the first sign that shows his divinity. This will be the first sign that leads to his hour. And what Mary might not know is his hour of glory is going to be his hour on the cross. And he's saying, do you know what you're asking? Because if we start this now, if we start this now, there's no turning back. This would be starting the road to Calvary right now, and there'd be no turning back the clock, no turning back the time. This will inaugurate my hour. Are you sure? What is this between us? There's, are, are you sure, Mother, what you're asking here? So so that's pretty, uh, of, of course, she probably doesn't know. But there again, Mary knows. She ponders all these things in her heart. Simeon said a sword would pierce her heart when the, when the child was dedicated back in the temple. So, so, you know, although Mary doesn't know how this will all play out, she's willing to submit to God's will, to trust and be obedient to what God has for them. She knows, she knows this was a supernatural conception. She did not know man. She knows, she knows this is God's will and she's willing to trust and say, let's go. Mm -hmm. So then what happens in uh, verse 5? All right, verse 5. His mother said to the servants, again, this is one of my favorite utterances in all of Scripture, do whatever he tells you. Mm. And, and yeah, yeah, just that, that perfect obedience, whatever he tells you, whatever Christ tells you in prayer when you're listening to him, be obedient all through the Bible. The whole Old Testament was about trust and obey, trust and obey, trust and obey. If we do that, it's our road to sainthood and it's our road to happiness. If we would just trust him and obey and do whatever he tells us. There again, we need to know what he tells us to do. And that's in scripture. Study scripture, people, because it's God's revealed mind to us. It's it's a way to get to know him. So if do whatever he tells you. What does he tell us to do? It's all in scripture, all his commands, all his orders ordinances, the way to happiness, the way to live, do whatever he tells you. So what's he tell him? What's he tell him to do? Verse six. Verse six says, nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. Okay, let's stop there. First all right. of all, they needed a lot of water on hand for uh, purification laws. There was a lot of washing that had to be done when you're eating uh, the Jewish uh, kosher table laws. And uh, six stone water jars. Hmm, six. Mm -hmm. Numbers are always important in Scripture, especially with John. Why six jars? Well, humans, back to the creation, humans and animals were created on day six. Uh, six is one less than seven. Seven's perfection. Seven's full covenant. We got six jars there. Six jars could represent the old law. And what's and and, and we'll we'll, uh, we'll go and see what happens to these jars. They each have twenty to thirty gallons of water. And verse seven. Verse Jesus, seven is mm -hmm. Jesus saying to the servants, "Fill the jars with water." So they filled them to the brim. Okay. Then Continue. he told them, "Now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet." They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. 
He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Uh, Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, Everyone brings out choice wine first, and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best until now. Oh my goodness, can you imagine being a servant, and you know this is water, and it might even be the dirty water after the purification. I don't know if it was clean or dirty, but you know it's water. Mm -hmm. And they go and fill these jars to the brim. They know it's water, and as they're pouring it out, dipping it out, they see that it's beautiful red wine and when they take it to the to their boss to the banquet the the head waiter he says this is that he tastes it and and this is like wine they've never had before this is the best wine because this is messianic wine and john is so eucharistic jesus first miracle is changing water into wine this is reminiscent of moses first miracle moses changed the water into blood uh, wine is really going to be in mass, the blood of Christ. Mm-hmm. So we have transubstantiation going on here too. Jesus will be a new Moses. Um, but um, everyone brings the choice wine out first and then the cheaper wines. What's happening here is that this is messianic wine and the prophets had foretold, like Amos said, when Messiah comes, bl- uh, wine will drip from the mountains. Uh, Isaiah talks about wine. Joel talks about wine. When Messiah comes, wine will flow freely. There will be wine, wine, wine. Wine always gladdened the heart. Wine was special. Wine was Eucharistic. So this is the best wine they've ever tasted. And, uh, and and that is what Jesus gives to them in their obedience. And you can imagine being a servant and people are drinking it and you know where it came from. Mm-hmm. No one else does, but you know, and the disciples knew and Mary knew. And the disciples come to believe in him because of this sign. They, it, their faith just keeps growing and growing. But this is the very first sign. Um, verse 11 then. Is what Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory. And his disciples believed in him. Mm. Mm-hmm. Right. And these signs, uh, we're going to see seven signs throughout John's gospel. This will be the first of the seven. Um, the disciples um, have, of course, a friendship with him. They stay with him. They abide with him. They know him well. But uh, as we'll see as we progress through John's gospel, some people were just following him because of the signs. They wanted bread. They wanted this. They wanted that. What sign can you do? What sign can you do? They, they followed him for sign faith. But I think those here knew, this small group that knew where the wine had actually come from, they knew. Um, I'd like to discuss a little bit about um, Mary as the new covenant. Can we, can we, uh, or the new, the new Ark of the Covenant, mm-hmm. excuse me. Um, because what is, what's happened here, Mary has borne to the world the true presence of God by her yes. And uh, if we look at other barren wombs in the Bible, um, all, all, the, all the wombs <laughs> were a supernatural um, birth comes from are very important in salvation history. The first one being Abraham and Sarah. They the, Sarah's womb was dead, and God brings Isaac, the the child of promise, through her womb. It'll be through that line that God will give a worldwide blessing. Uh, there's also Hannah in the Old Testament. Hannah prays and prays and prays and prays for a child. Hannah's infertile, and for those listening out there who are struggling with infertility, it is a huge cross to bear. Um, when a when and a woman and man want a child so bad. And back then, um, when people didn't have child, um, the consensus was, oh, 
they're not blessed. They must be in sin. What did they do? Uh, we see that with Zechariah and Elizabeth when they were barren and they were a righteous couple and people in their town would say, hmm, oh, well. And, and yeah. we know they also had a child that would prepare the way for the Messiah. That was a supernatural conception. When Hannah prays for a child, she also has a supernatural conception, and she promises that she will give that child back to the service of the Lord. So when he's three years old, she takes Samuel to the temple and dedicates him for the full service of the Lord. After all those years of longing for a child, she gives him back to God. And then she sings this beautiful song, Hannah's song. And uh, when I hear Mary's song... Uh, there's a lot of echoes of Hannah's song. Mary uh, is not supposed to have a child. She does not know man. She is a virgin. And when the angel comes and overshadows her, that's another way of saying the presence of the Lord. It, it comes over her. And we know that the presence of the Lord through the Holy Spirit will, will come into Mary. And Mary will be this new Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was something the Israelites carried around everywhere. They took it into battle. They, you, you couldn't touch the Ark. If you touched the Ark, you'd fall over dead in a lot of uh, Old Testament stories. The Ark was revered because what was inside the Ark was the manna. Mm -hmm. That's the bread of life. life. Mary's going to have the manna inside her. Uh, the second thing was the law. The tablets of the, the law were in there. Well, Jesus Christ will be the law. He will fulfill the law. He doesn't abolish it. He comes to fulfill the law. He's the new law. And the other thing was Aaron's rod. Aaron was the high priest. Aaron's rod symbolized authority. Jesus Christ will be the authority from the Father. All his authority comes from his Father. He is authority. And so Mary's going to contain those things within her body. She's going to be the new Ark of the Covenant. Now, um, um, how will this be? How will this be? I don't know. I lost my train of thought, Bruce. <laughs> but uh, but but that ark through the centuries. Okay, through the through the through the time when uh, David came before the ark, uh, the ark was brought to the Judean foothills and it resided there for three months. Mary comes to Elizabeth and resides with her for three months in those same Judean foothills, and David is a king, a highly dignified king, and he puts on a linen ephod and he dances and he leaps before the ark. Well, this made uh, one of the women extremely mad. This was not kingly behavior, but David couldn't help it. He was acting in priestly garb and he was leaping before the ark, before the true presence of God. And when Mary goes to those same foothills, what happens to Elizabeth, the child within her womb, leaps. And that's that's a, a great verb connection in the Greek. That's the only time that, that, that the baby leaps in her womb because it's before the presence of the ark. And Elizabeth exclaims with a loud cry. And in Greek, that's called anaphaneo. And that word, anaphaneo, she, in verse 42 of Luke 1, she exclaims with a loud cry. The word is only used one time in the entire New Testament. The only time you find it is when, uh, is when there's this leaping before the Ark of the Covenant, the new Ark of the Covenant, Mary. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. And so uh, every other time that's used in the Old Testament, I think it's used six times in the Old Testament, that word anaphaneo is always used in reference to the Ark of the Covenant, always. Okay, so so that's an important connection, that Mary is the new Ark of the Covenant. Mm -hmm. We don't just make that up. She truly, truly is. Um, uh, 
and the presence of God dwells within her. And I just think, I think that is just, uh, oh, and where was the Ark of the Covenant? Where had it gone? It was missing. Mm -hmm. Because in 2 Maccabees 2, and this is uh, uh, something all Catholics should know, Jeremiah took that Ark and hid it in in a cave, and God sealed the cave up, and those following him could not even find. They were trying to mark the path so they could later find it and retrieve it after the Babylonian exile. The cave, the mouth of the cave was sealed shut by the Lord, and that Ark has never ever been found Mm -hmm. because it's not needed anymore. The new ark is Mary. She contains the bread of life. She contains the fulfillment of the law and she contains authority itself. So Mary is the new Eve. Mary is the ark of the covenant. And Mary wants us to do whatever he tells us, to live in perfect obedience. Sometimes the smallest acts you do, like like the servants filling the water jars, you have no idea how your small acts of obedience play into the big picture that God has. The little small acts of obedience you do for the Lord make a difference. They make a difference. You might not see it now, but one day you will. One day you will see him face to face and you will know how your small acts of obedience changed lives in the kingdom of God. Do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. Do whatever he tells you. That's what Mary did. That's what she modeled for us so humbly, so beautifully. My soul magnifies the Lord. Blessed is the name of the Lord who made heaven. Mary knows who God is. Mary knows that she's carrying God. And she's willing to to say, what is this between you and me? I surrender to you, Lord. I surrender my son in perfect obedience to your will. I don't know what this means. If this hour starts, so be it, Lord. So be it, Lord. Do whatever he tells you. That's our uh, point to ponder here, everybody. Do whatever he tells you. Mm. Take that with you and Mm. live it. Sharon Doran, thanks so much. God bless you. We appreciate it. Thank you, Bruce.